Hello, friends. Thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott, continues our series, That You May Believe, as he preaches from John chapter 11 and God's timing. Just a reminder that you can get the other sermons in this series, as well as our On Your Own reading, by going to ccgf.org or by downloading the Christchurch app, which is available on Android and iOS devices. Now, here is Pastor Jared with the sermon, The Loss of a Friend. Thank you for listening. Let's pray together. God, thanks for today. Thank you for the fact that uh, we can sing uh, those songs this morning with our hearts full of gratitude and praise, knowing that you love us, that you love us so much that you sent your son to die in our place. So we, we, we are thankful for that. And Father, as we look at your word too, we remember the song we just sang, Thy will be done. Father, a lot of things going on in our own lives we don't understand. We don't know why they're going on the way they do. And so, Father, we lift those things up to you now. Father, we thank you for teaching us in your word. We thank you for this narrative on Lazarus and how we can apply it to our own life. So, Father, I pray that you speak through me now. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, and that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear, and that we walk out of here changed. And I ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's uh, wonderful to uh, continue in this series that you may believe. Uh, hopefully, you've been following along with us. We've been in this, uh, the Gospel of John, and uh, this week we look at that, that great narrative of Lazarus. Lazarus being raised from the dead. You've got to understand, you know, Pastor Jamie just uh, mentioned all the great church services coming up, and there are. Uh, and you've got to know that this passage, John 11, if you've been following along with us, this is really the last one of the miracles before Jesus next week, or next chapter, uh, is going to go into Jerusalem. And that's where we talk about Palm Sunday. And that ushers in all kinds of other things. We have the, uh, the upper room uh, before his death, and we're going to have a Monday-Thursday service right here. And then we're going to uh, the Good Friday service over in the sanctuary and talk about what happened on the cross. And then we're obviously going to celebrate Easter here Sunday morning and celebrate that in a wonderful way. So I hope you can join us over the next few weeks, because this is really culminating into that, that, uh, that great time of Easter, this last of the miracles that Jesus performs that we've been looking at over the past few weeks. You gotta know, this, this narrative really is similar to what I talked about two weeks ago with the blind man. And you're gonna see that in a few minutes. Cause a lot of people go, how, don't, how, how can Lazarus, how can we pull anything out of Lazarus to apply to our own life? Unless you're hoping that maybe God's gonna raise someone that you love from the dead back, uh, so you can be with them. Uh, I, I, every time I look at this, this narrative, I remember, uh, as a kid at a church and they would do a cantata. A cantata is basically like a production with all music in the choir. And I remember they started with Lazarus, because this was the last miracle before uh, uh, Jesus went to the cross. And um, what they did is they reenacted on stage, and someone would yell out, uh, like Jesus would say, and we're going to see this later in this ch- chapter when Jesus heals Lazarus. He would say, Jesus, uh, Lazarus, come forth. And I remember as a kid being there, and there was music on, and they would have a guy dressed up in linens, like, uh, like a mummy, coming down the aisle. Now, as a kid, if you're a kid, that was, that was creepy. If you're wondering, yes, indeed, it was creepy. That, that was a different day and age. I think if uh, some guy came in like that, that guy would take about two steps in this room before getting tackled. That's not going to happen, nor are we going to do that here. But you kind of wonder, what would it be like, what would it be like to be there? Jesus heals a dead man. And we're going to find out he was dead for four days. What would that be like? What would that be like to see that? To see a guy walking out of the grave. You got to understand, this 
this narrative really, the, the irony, of course, is that Jesus heals them, right? But that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That ultimately he heals us all. All of us that have a relationship with him will be in heaven with, with him when we die. So we're ultimately all of us will be in heaven. So how do we, what do we take away from this? One of the things I encourage you always to do is you've got to read the whole chapter. We only have time to read a snippet. But if you look at the whole context of this chapter, you're going to find there's a lot of things we can apply to our own life. And you've got to go back to the very beginning of this chapter. The very beginning of this chapter to find out that God, that this healing, this healing happened in his ultimate timing. His ultimate timing. If you, go, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. We're in John chapter 11. Look at verse 5. It'll be on the screens behind me too. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now you've got to know that we know from John 10 that Jesus was about a day away from uh, where Lazarus was. It was about a day's journey. Okay. So if it took a guy, a messenger, they sent a messenger to Jesus. If it took him a day to get the message, Jesus then waits two days and then comes. That's why you have the four days. But here's the real question. If Jesus really loved Mary and Martha, he loved Lazarus, why did he wait two days? Why did he wait? Why didn't he just heal him right then? Why didn't he just say, you know what, he's sick, he's not anymore? Why didn't why he heal him just then? The disciples got to have asked that question. Jesus, you love them. You've already healed a lot of other people. You've already performed other miracles. Why don't you just heal them right now, right here? We ask those questions a lot in our own life, don't we? We say, you know what? God, I've got this major problem. I've been praying to you for weeks, months, even years on this. Why aren't you listening? You say, God, I, I've been dealing with a child who has, who has abandoned me, gone off the reservation, making all kinds of bad decisions. I've been praying them for years. God, are you listening? God, I've, uh, I've, I've been drowning in debt. I don't have money to pay these finances. I've been praying for this for months. How come you don't listen? God, I've been single for so many years. I just desperately want a spouse. Why don't you bring them to me? God, I, I, I need a new job. I know that you prepared me for a job. I need a new job. I've been applying to every place that I can think of, and every door is getting closed. Why in the world aren't you listening? We say the same things. We think that we've got a big need. We think we've got something major going on, and we, well, the only thing we feel like we hear is silence. You think, well, maybe God's not listening. A few uh, months ago, I read a story uh, in Christianity Today about some missionaries, Martin and Gracia Burnham. You may not know about the Burnhams, but the Burnhams were missionaries in the Philippines. Okay? And they, they were ministering there for 17 years. And on their 18th wedding anniversary, it was May 27, 2001. Okay, May 27, 2001. That was the year of the terrorist attacks, if you remember. But that same year, they were kidnapped on their wedding anniversary by a bunch of terrorists. They had three kids. They didn't kidnap the kids, only the parents. Then they chained the parents, these missionaries, Marcy and, uh, Martin and Gracia, to their captors. They were captive for over 400 days. Can you imagine? Can you imagine... Being a captive for 400 days, knowing that, hey, 
I was doing God's work. I was sharing the love of Jesus with these people who didn't know me. And now I'm, I'm a captive? Every morning they woke up and prayed, Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you deliver us. We do not want our children to be orphans. I pray that you show your glory through this. Then every night they would go to bed. And before they would go to bed, they would wish their captors good night, share them the love of Jesus, and then go to sleep. And every morning wake up. 400 days. 400 days later, actually it was less than 400 days later, they were still, she was still captive, but in 2000, June two, uh, 7, 2002, what happened, they were, they were these, um, rather these terrorists were then in a crossfire with the army, okay, they got into a, a fight with the army, and one of the bullets hit her in the leg, one of the bullets hit him in the chest, and he died. So now she, there she is, all alone. She endured more captivity. Finally, she's released. But you got to wonder, she must have been thinking the same thing. The disciples were thinking, hey, God, I've been praying to you. Well, why don't you answer? Maybe you're thinking the same thing. You've been thinking, God, I've been going through a struggle for years. I've been dealing with a spouse who has an alcoholic problem or a drug problem or another addiction. I can't. I've been praying for years. God, I'm stuck, stuck in my job, stuck in this place of life. I'm so frustrated. I just wish you'd hear me. So how do we explain this? How do we explain people like the Burnhams who, who are doing the Lord's work and God doesn't answer them? We find the answer in verse 14. It says, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. See, you've got to understand, we all know this, people that know and love the Lord as our Savior. We know that this life isn't easy, is it? We're not guaranteed that things are going to just fall in line, that things are going to happen, that money's going to come in, our children will be good, our marriages will be great, our health will be good. We don't, it doesn't happen that way. Faith happens every single day, doesn't it? Trust in God happens every single day. He's talking to the disciples. The disciples already knew who Jesus was. He wasn't talking to the crowd. That verse is for the disciples who already believed. He's saying, listen, for your sake I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Trust happens every single day of our life. It's a progressive thing. That's what draws us closer to God. Causes us to be stretched. Martha and Mary had to learn that too. Look at verse 20. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, and how many of us have said this? Lord, Martha said, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. How many of us have said that? God, if you were here, my spouse wouldn't have died. I wouldn't be sick. I wouldn't be in the hospital if you would just show up. I would have a better job if you just showed up. My husband or a spouse or my child wouldn't be in any legal trouble if you were just here. How do we explain this stuff? Did God mess up? Maybe some of us think maybe God was so preoccupied with such a bigger problem, a, a, a famine in Africa or, or a, a natural disaster somewhere in the country. Maybe God's so preoccupied there that he forgot about us here. Or maybe, maybe the other answer is maybe we've been so bad and we've messed up so much in life that God just says, I'm done. He says, you know what, my mercy's been, I'm, 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 I'm dried up. So you pray all you want, but it's not going to happen. How do we explain the timing? How do we explain things in life when we don't understand the answers? 
When we look at verses in the Bible, like Psalm 103, it's not going to be on the screen, it says, God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered, rich in love. Strong as the heaven is over the earth, as strong as his love to those who fear him. If he loves us, if he loves Mary and Martha, then why does he wait? Why doesn't he answer us when we need him? Why doesn't he provide the things that we think that we need? Why does he do this? Here's the answer. Because he operates on his own timetable, not ours. And he can see a bigger picture. He knows what we need when we need it. He knows what we're going through, what we need at the time, even though we think it's something else. Because he can see a bigger picture. It's his timetable. Let me tell you an example. When I was, um, years ago, my kids were real little. They used to love when I mowed the lawn. They don't like it when I do it now, and they're not going to like it when I tell them it's their job in a, in a few uh, years. But they loved when I used to mow the lawn. And they used to go out. They used, loved it because I would mow the lawn, and they would get their little bubble mowers out. Okay, Have you ever seen these things? My children were four and two at the time. And they had little bubble mowers that when you pushed it, the wheels turned and bubbles flew out. So there I am, mowing the grass, all these bubbles are flying all, all over the place. They always wanted to use the lawnmower, something real powerful, right? So I thought, well, this is a good opportunity. So uh, one day I asked my son to come over, and there's a, if you have a lawnmower, you got the big handle, and then there's the little handle. And so I'm walking, I had him use the little handle. Okay, so he's pushing the lawnmower. That was all good until my wife came outside. <laughs> and she, she gave me a look that I'll remember. I said, it still haunts my dreams. Uh, so it, uh, that ended quickly. But he so wanted to use the lawnmower. She so wanted to use the lawnmower. Isn't it amazing that something that was so beneficial for us, something so useful for us, could kill them right now? Something that we think that we need, something that we think that we could use or harness, could actually harm them right now. Maybe the job that you have, you're not prepared for it. Maybe the sickness that you're going through, you're not prepared to come out of that. Maybe the financial situation that you're in, you're not at a point where God has showed you everything you needed to learn. Maybe the job that God has for you isn't ready yet. Maybe the spouse that God has prepared for you, maybe you need to grow and so that you can be a better spouse for them in the future. I remember going finishing seminary and I, I, w- I was done. I had just finished two bachelor's degrees, two master's degrees. I was in my doctorate and I was going, God, I'm ready for a church. Two years went by. Two years went by and I remember going, hey, God, I'm, I'm prepared. I've got a head full of knowledge. I'm ready to go. And it was two years later. And now I look back and go, thank God for that because I would have I ran that church right into the ground. Because my head was full of knowledge, but I realized it's all about the people. Some of you are going through something, and you're going, why isn't God answering it? Maybe the question isn't, why isn't God answering it? It's what does God want to show you through the process? What do you need to learn? Maybe there's something in the future that God has prepared for you that he's preparing for you now. Maybe you're going through a tough time financially, you're not being able to pay the bills, and your children lose their job in the future, and you can come by and go, you know what, I've been there. I've been there. Or you go through some health things right now, and you're in and out of the hospital, and it gets worse later. You can go, yeah, I've been there. God's prepared me. I know what you're going through. Maybe the spouse that you have is going to be a tough spouse for you in the future if you're single. And God's preparing you now. The thing that you think that you need would actually kill you. Because God's timetable is so different. I think about that story of the blind man. You remember the story? I just talked about it two Two weeks ago, the blind man, the blind man was blind, blind from birth, if you remember. God heals him, and what happens? People go, well, hey, who healed you? 
And the blind man said, well, Jesus heals me. Well, they get so mad, the Pharisees, the leaders, the neighbors, and the family, they kick him out of the city. Now, so now the guy goes from a problem to a predicament. It goes from even worse. Now he's outcast of society, but now he can't beg for food because he can see. So this guy goes from being uh, blind to in a situation which is totally terrible. Nobody wants to do anything to do with him. You go, well, how could that guy get through it? Well, he was already blind for 15, 20 years before. So God already prepared him. He already was prepared to be alone, wasn't he? Some of us are desperate for answers, and instead of praying, God, give me the answer, maybe you need to start praying, God, teach me what you need to teach me. Teach me. Why? Because God sees a bigger picture of it, doesn't he? He knows what we need when we need it. And he sees the bigger picture here. Because we not only see his ultimate timing, we see his ultimate sacrifice, don't we? Verse 43. It says, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. Excuse me, I'm back, I'm back. I missed verse, uh, verse 23. It says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again, the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus was seeing the whole situation. He goes, listen, he's dead, he's dead, but it's just a matter of timing. If you believe me, you're going to be in heaven with me when, when, when you die. So I can see the bigger picture of things here. You can look at it like this. I'm looking at it like this. And for those of you who maybe have heard this story before, you go, hey, listen, I know who Jesus is, but I've never believed it. I've never believed who he was. This is your opportunity to understand Jesus was the Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah, who came to earth because we have sin. And we couldn't do anything with that sin. And because of that sin, we were to die. But he came as a sacrifice for us, died on the cross, a perfect sacrifice for us. That's his ultimate sacrifice. He could see the bigger picture. The question is for you, church, do you believe it? Do you know it? Do you believe it? His ultimate sacrifice. He saw the bigger picture. They were looking at it like this. They looked at it at a moment in time, saying, listen, we miss Lazarus. We want him back with us. And Jesus is saying, listen, hey, if you have a relationship with me, it's going to be eternity with me forever. That's the bigger picture. That's the hope that we have. So we see his ultimate sacrifice. We also see in this chapter his ultimate empathy. And you say, what's empathy? Empathy is that term that you use when you say, I understand what you're dealing with. I understand what you're going through. Because a lot of us feel all alone, don't we? We feel all alone. We feel like nobody else is going through what we go through. Nobody else is dealing with the trials I go through, and I am all alone. And then we see in this great verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, but the one that's most powerful, is John eleven thirty five. Starting in verse 34, it says, Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, the Lord replied. Come and see, Lord. They replied, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, See how he loved them. I use that all the time when we have funerals to know that, to say that Jesus knows what you're going through. He loves you and he knows what you're going through. And in this verse, this one little verse, two words long, we see his humanity, that he knows he's been there. He's gone through the pain. He's loss of a friend. He knows what you're going through. He knows the situation that you're in. He knows that you're looking for a job. He knows that that you're in sickness. He knows that your child's gone off the reservation. He knows that your husband or or spouse has, has run away or has left you. He knows these things. He knows that you're you're suffering and struggling. That's why he wept, because he, he gets into with you, gets into life with you to know, hey, listen, I know what you're going through. You're not alone in all this. I just see a bigger picture of the whole thing. That's where we know Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, too, because if he was a man, he cried. If he was God, he would say, well, 
I can see a bigger picture. No need to cry. Jesus was a man and he cried, didn't he? He knows what you're going through. And there's a lot of people, a lot of needs we have in church. I know it's people that really have been dealt a bad hand in life. And you talk about these people and they've gone through one problem or another, whether it's kids or families or other issues, and you go, man, how do they deal with it? You must feel all alone. Jesus is here. He wept. He knows what you're going through. Isaiah 53 says he's a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. Isn't that wonderful to know? Wonderful to know that when we're lying in bed wondering what's the next answer, God, you got to show up at some point that he knows that he loves you, just like he loved them. Then we see his ultimate power, don't we? His ultimate power. Verse 43, the verse I was referring to. When he saw this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Nobody's going to come down the aisle, just so you know. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now you got to understand, this is the ultimate power. Four days is important to know because three days in the Jewish custom, the tradition, they thought that, uh, that when somebody died that the soul would hover for three days, hoping it would enter back into the body so that they'd be raised, raised again. Jesus knew that, so he waited four days, so he knew that the people, this guy was ultimately dead because the Jewish people would know no soul would ever enter into a body that was decaying. And after four days, it would start to decay. So they knew that, Jesus knew that, that's why this power is here. That's why his ultimate power is shown. And you go, wow, that's great for Lazarus. That's wonderful. He got a second chance of life. Really? Let me ask you a question. Would you want to die twice? I mean, if I were Lazarus, I think I'd come down, I'd take off the clothes and the cloth and go, you serious? Jesus, serious? I've got to do this again? I've got to go through this whole process all over again. Not only that, a few days later, Jesus, his friend, is then taken. He's tortured, and he's hung on a cross. Lazarus has to go through that now, too. I don't know how Lazarus dealt with it. I'm sure he didn't say that to Jesus. I'm sure you and I wouldn't either. But what's the point? The point is it has nothing to do with Lazarus being raised. It has everything to do with his ultimate glory. Because what do you think would happen when a four-day-old dead guy comes out of the grave? Everybody around is going to go, hey, this guy's something different. Jesus, he's got the power to heal. He's really the Messiah. He's got to be the Son of God. He's got to be the Savior of the world. Because no way that's possible. No way that could ever happen. So I'd follow him anywhere. I'd listen to him. I'd believe in him. That's why verse 40 is so powerful. It says, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Jesus reminds Martha and Mary, he said, listen, I, you know, I know it's great that Lazarus is back, but don't get focused on Lazarus. Because the real miracle here is the fact that I was able to raise him from the dead, and I'm going to do the same thing. Do you believe it? Do you believe that I have the power to die and walk out of the grave and have a relationship with you? Yeah. Do you believe in me? That's what this whole thing's about. So that you may believe. Blindness displays God's work, doesn't it? Healing of blindness. A dead man's got to display God's worth. A healing of a dead man. My question for you is, 
the problem or issue you're going through, is that displaying God's glory? As we come and as the music team comes and prepares us for communion, we're going to remember what happened at the cross, his death and resurrection. If you, uh, you've been with us on Wednesday evening services, I know I can share this because he was uh, shared it on our Wednesday evening services. We have one this Wednesday as well. Powerful Lenten services. But Matthew Rivers was uh, here a few weeks ago. Matthew Rivers is a student at Trinity Seminary and a wonderful man. He's preached here on occasion. And uh, Matthew went through some tough times in the fall. He was in and out of the hospital often. In fact, he was in and out of the hospital so often we had to call and figure out which hospital he was actually at because it was weeks and weeks and weeks. And they would go in, they would find something, and then while they were looking at that, they'd find something else. And he was just in and out of the hospital. And I felt so bad because he was in and out of the hospital. He's missing school. His bills were piling up. And I remember going to talking to Matthew, and I said, Matthew, how can I pray for you on this? Can we pray for healing? He said, oh, no, no, no. Don't pray for the healing. I said, really, what do you want me to pray for? He said, pray that I learn what I need to learn while I'm in this moment. Pray that God shows up and teaches me what I need to learn because I'm going to be a better pastor once I get out of this. Has nothing to do with the books, has nothing to do with the school, has everything to do with the trial or situation he's in, the timing of it all. God sees a bigger picture. And he said, Matthew said, listen, I know God wants to teach me something bigger than I could ever imagine so that he can prepare me for something bigger than I can ever imagine. That's it. That's revealing God's glory. Matthew's that blind man. He's Lazarus that reveals God's glory and millions of others. We call them God glimpses. How many of us have gone through some stuff, a sickness, a job loss, relationship problems, singleness? And we say, how could God use this for his glory? How could God use this? We did a funeral here about a year or so ago for a guy named Bill who was suffering from cancer for so long and suffering for many years and I remember giving the gospel message at his funeral we knew that he was in heaven because he had a relationship with Jesus and somebody responded to that message they realized hey listen I need to I need to believe in that Jesus too so he came up and said I you know I gave my life today at the funeral of Bill and there's a party in heaven and I'm sure Bill was there and Bill wasn't complaining about the cancer then small price to pay to show God's glory Revealed. So next time you're going through some stuff, don't get mad at God. Don't look and go, hey, God, why didn't you show up? And I thought you did. Maybe start praying and say, God, I need you to teach me what you need to teach me. God, make me stronger in this process. I pray your glory is revealed. The Burnhams did. Because after many years, three of their captors became Christians. After 400 days of them witnessing to them, they accepted Christ three of them and they can tell that story even today that through the Burnham's struggle God was seen through Lazarus's death God was seen and I pray that through your problems and mine may he be seen as well let's pray God thanks for today I thank you for the fact that you love us so much that you see the bigger picture of things and even though that's hard for us help us to realize that You're preparing us, that you love us, that you've taken care of it all, and that you're giving us exactly what we need. So help us to learn from those. Learn from the trials. Learn in the good and learn in the bad. And I pray that you be with those that may have heard this about who you are but never have believed it. I pray that right now they take a moment and ask you to forgive them of their own sin 
realizing that they can't do it on their own. Knowing that you died for them as the ultimate sacrifice, as a man, so that we can have a relationship with you. I pray that you be with them right now, Lord. Touch them. Help them to see your face right now. Pray for you to come into their life. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Your time, your sacrifice, your empathy, and your glory. We give it all back to you, and I ask all this in your name.